Welcome to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Google, Spotify, or otherwise. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. And Jonesy, the Raptors, in the midst of yet another long road trip, five straight on the road for Toronto, but right in the thick of it in the Eastern Conference playoff slash play-in picture. So, I mean, the games always count. They always matter. I know it's cliche, but it's true. But they certainly seem to count and matter that much more right now when, Jones, you look at the log jam that is happening in, well, not just the East, but the West as well. Yeah, no, it's, you know, we've said this many times that the NBA has what they want, uh, excitement going down the stretch. You know, it was like expanding the baseball playoffs. Uh, you, you know, your team's still in it. Uh, you you have a chance to, you know, maybe get squeak into the postseason, peak at the right time, and get hot. So, uh, yeah, I'm I, there. I refreshed the standings three times last night after games. Uh, <laughs> one of them knowing that it wasn't going to change anyway, but just to get another look at it. So, uh, the, the NBA certainly has what it wants with the uh, the way that the schedule and the playoffs are structured right now. Well, one of the teams that is uh, in that muddled mess in the Eastern Conference is the Chicago Bulls, but the guest that we're going to bring on the show to start things off also knows the Toronto Raptors quite well, and it ties into the conversation we had last week when we were chatting about the NBA All-Star Weekend and the show that Mac McClung put on during uh, the NBA dunk contest on Saturday night. So for all of those topics and much more, I had a chance to go one-on-one with uh, our friend and colleague from the Chicago Bulls radio voice, Chuck Swirsky. Chuck, um, every time we talk, it's always good to reminisce and tell some old stories and whatnot. And, and I, I want to give you a little bit of love here because as uh, I think many folks have probably seen or, or, or saw on social media um, this season, can't believe it's been over a decade since you've been gone, but celebrating 2,000 broadcasts. So first of all, congratulations. Um, but my, my, my main question to you is, how did it happen so quickly? Because, like, am I wrong to say, Chuck, that it's kind of just been a blur and you blink and all of a sudden you're 2,000 games in, you're, you know, 20-plus years in, 25-plus years in? Well, number one, Eric, good to see you. You want to talk about the 67 Leafs? Um, so <laughs> It is Toronto yeah. still. Yeah. No, but... I li- actually, I like the moves the uh, Leafs have made. Yeah, they, they were very active. I mean, they were in, very active. You know, yeah. good for them. They're yeah. all in. Um, so here's my story on this. Does it go quickly? Absolutely it goes quickly. The, the point being that when you're in the moment, you don't think about things. So, for example, when someone says, hey, your first year with the Raptors, what do I remember? I remember the interview process of becoming the Raptors announcer with the Fan 590 with Nelson Millman. Mm-hmm. I remember meeting Jack Armstrong. I had met him previously when he was head coach at Niagara, but that was just in passing. So I remember a conversation with Jack in the back seat of Nelson's car driving from the Raptors office to Holly Street, right. where the radio station was located yep. at that particular time. Yep. The season starts quickly because the lockout ends. Mm-hmm. So we played two preseason games, one here at Skydome, Rogers Center, and one in Boston. Then we opened up the season in Boston. And the only thing I remember is, oh my God, this game is so fast. It's one thing to call a college game, which I had done for 18 years with DePaul and the University of Michigan, go blue. But it's another, Eric, 
to call an NBA game, as you know. Mm -hmm. So we played 50 games in 100 days. It was unbelievable. And that's what I remember. I remember they were in the thick of it for a playoff spot coming down. And then the last two or three weeks, I think the young players looked in the mirror and said, oh, my gosh, we're like knocking on the door for a playoff spot. And as you know, the lights get a lot brighter on a big stage. It's crazy to think as well, Chuck, that, and I was just talking to somebody about this in the last few hours, we're approaching the 30th anniversary season of this team. Like, I mean, I know you work for a storied, you know, franchise in the Chicago Bulls now, but to think of the Raptors, where they were yep. to where they are now, and with a championship just a, a few years removed, to think about we're, we're a couple seasons away from celebrating a 30th anniversary. It, it's, it's wild to see how the sport has grown in this city, let alone in the country, and, and the part that, that you played, that the Raptors have played in the growth of the fan base, the players, and just, again, the sport in general. Well, the seed was planted really with Vince, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, Damon Stoudemire was a terrific player, and in fact, he's on my starting five Raptor team. But the truth of the matter is, because Vince played above the rim, and a lot of fans came prior to Vince to see the other team. And you know this, Eric. So now Vince arrives and we have a lockout, but there's a new building at that time, the Air Canada Center, and you've got a guy by the name of Vince Carter, athletically, who is off the charts. And we saw from the opening game that this guy was going to be not only unique, but Vince Carter had the it factor. So when Vince Carter came to Toronto, people wanted to see him play. And then you had McGrady, the maturation of the second season. You had veterans, Willis, Oakley, D. Brown, Doug Christie, Antonio and Davis. Antonio Davis came in, yeah. you know, in that sign and trade thing with Indiana for the fifth pick in the draft that turned out to be Jonathan Bender, who actually worked out here. Mm -hmm. And Butch Carter told me it was one of the best workouts he had ever seen. And he goes, oh, by the way, Chuck, he's 18 years old and he can shoot the three. So. Again, all these things come into play. The universe created a wonderful foundation for the Raptors. You mentioned Vince. I wanted to bring him up at one point, so I'll do it right now. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I saw you in the last week or so following up on a couple of weeks ago, the All-Star Weekend in Utah. Mac McClung put on a show. Yep. But the best dunker of all time is? Vince Carter. And listen. And I'm not implying that it should no, be Mac here's McClung. here's the thing. The Dr. J, Dr. J was an outstanding slam dunk artist with Philadelphia. We really never saw Dr. J in his early 20s because he was in the ABA. Yeah. Now, I follow the ABA, but their games really weren't nationally televised until CBS put them on. And by that time, Dr. J had one foot out the door headed to the NBA. You, know, you can look on YouTube for the ABA All-Star game when Dr. J took off at the foul line. And as much as I love Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins, there is no question the volume of slams, especially early in Vince's career, okay, before he had the jumper's knee and everything kind of, you know, um, kind of just fell apart here, uh, for lack of a better word. But Vince did this multiple times each and every game. Well, the thing is, too, that from what I recall, the in-game dunks weren't always, and in fact, I would say they were more so they were dunks in traffic. They were dunks in the midst of a play. They weren't just on breakouts, a loose ball or right. a fast break. Right. I mean, he was doing it in the midst of a play and just putting poster after poster after poster on opposing teams. Correct. I mean, we saw 
windmills, we saw 360s, we saw reverse, we saw you know, lobs to the rim, just get it near the rim and Vince will take care of it. And I think that brought the excitement to the fan base, Eric, and said, you know what, I want to go see him play. And if, as you know, Eric, the, the foundation of young Canadian players who are now older players in the league with one foot out the door because of age, um, and we're talking about Tristan Thompson no longer playing. Mm -hmm. Kelly Olenek, you know, still hanging on to play a couple, three more years maybe. Corey Joseph probably one foot out the door, you know, just hanging yeah. on, you know, to see how many more years he can squeeze out of a terrific career. But all these Canadian players now set the groundwork for Shea Gilgis Alexander. When I see Shea, he always says, salami and cheese. Jamal Murray, <laughs> salami and cheese. Well, this was... 23 Canadians down the league. This was because of the Carter effect, okay? And that's how I'll leave it. Let me ask you about, and I didn't think we'd just stay on Vince, but we can. He's obviously a very intriguing topic. What kind of a difference would it have made? And this is obviously just opinion-based. This is all, you know, hypothetical. Had the Vancouver Grizzlies drafted Vince Carter and the Toronto Raptors didn't. And I know technically they didn't draft, it was Jameson, it was a trade, but you know what I'm saying. If, if, yep. if Vince Carter played for the Vancouver Grizzlies, is Vancouver still in the league right now? Uh, I think Toronto's still in the league because they had more stable ownership even without the superstar. But do you think Vince himself could have saved what ultimately happened out west? I, you know what, Eric, I, I honestly I can't answer that question because I don't know. I think it depends on the ownership, you know, whether it was Orca Bay ownership, whomever owned it at that time before Michael Heisley stepped in. Yeah. I think one of the setbacks was because it was an expansion ball club that did not have the personnel around him like they had here in Toronto, I think you would have had some losing seasons. Vancouver did not have McGrady. Now they would have had Steve Francis, maybe, um, but they didn't have the type of vets that Carter came here where Oakley said, I got this. Yeah. Kevin Willis, I got this. Dee Brown, Doug Christie, on and on. Uh, a guy like John Thomas, very inf influential in that locker room. So the, when I look at Vancouver, they made, in my opinion, some questionable draft decisions. And I think they panicked with the Steve Francis trade, you know, where he was traded to Houston, yep. instead of saying, hey, if you want to be in this league, you're going to play here. And, but, I, again, I love Vancouver. Interesting as well when you think about Steve Francis. Of course, they had a chance to go after Steve Nash as well and ultimately didn't. Could have had a, a BC guy and a, a hometown kid in a sense. Chuck, I, I'll wrap this up in a second here. You just mentioned the name John Thomas. That also kind of you know, pops a light in my head. He's one of those guys. And I'm putting you on the spot here. But I know you've got the Rolodex. You always have yeah. the Rolodex spinning. Give me a few names that are like, with due respect to John Thomas, like kind of that next tier or even that next tier down, but guys that still made an impact. And I'm not talking about starters. Might not even be talking about those bench guys. Like, like not even, I don't even want a Jerome Williams. I'm thinking like John Thomas, Reggie Slater, like some yeah. of those guys that were just grinders for this team that made a difference either on the floor and or just in the community. Guys that pop into your mind when you think about some of these, you know, lesser known names perhaps over the years. Wow. Was there one? Like I know well, like, I'm I mean, not putting you on the spot. because you know I mean there's so Throw many guys there's so many people that came here mm. that added you know I look at players almost like seasons mm -hmm. they they may not be here for 3 or 4 years yep. there's a reason why they're here but like for example Del Curry you know Del Curry was here in the twilight of his career 
he was injured late in it, but mm -hmm. he contributed during that 2000-2001 season. Yep. Okay, Muggsy Bogues came over, Chris Childs came over. They were here for a specific reason, okay? Then I look at other players, when you look at Keon Clark. I mean, Keon Clark had a very short window with the Raptors, but that window was impactful. I think he had, what, 11 blocks in a game? If I'm not mistaken, you can look that up. That was the same game where Alvin Williams had a triple-double against Atlanta here on a Friday night. And I remember... See what I mean by the Rolodex? No, see? no, no. <laughs> but I remember doing interviews with a guy by the name of Garth Joseph. Yep. Garth Joseph was a big man, journeyman. We really didn't know, you know, what he was all about. But he added a little bit of humor with his voice. And he had that big growl. That yes, he did. He did. Yeah. Yep. And, but little by little, you saw players here... And I just, you know, and whether it was, depending on the coach, whether it's Butch Carter, the Kevin O'Neill one year, you know, where I, I remember Charlie Villanueva. He had 48 points yep. in Milwaukee. Yep. Bosch had broken his hand. Yep. And I, I still remember to this day, I wish he had gotten 50. It would have been unbelievable for Charlie Villanueva to get 50. And because he had a lot of potential, and yet, you know, he got that free agent contract to go to Detroit, um, and good for him. So, bottom line is, you know what? There's a lot of history in the Raptors, and when they reach their 50th anniversary and they look back at the history, they'll be able to recall the early years with Vince. All right, last one for you then. Hopefully, you're around for the 50th anniversary. <laughs> Hopefully, we all are, for that matter. No. Um, but you, you said it earlier. Vince is in your st starting five, so. Who's your starting five then? Well, I, I think you have to look at the obvious. I mean, you have to have I mean, it is, it is obvious, but let's... Okay. So I'm having Stoudemire and Vince, mm. and then I'm having Lowry, DeRozan, and Bosch. I'm not having Kawhi Leonard, because even though I think Kawhi Leonard, I mean, it was a great trade, and I get it. I get it and understand why that deal was made. I still believe that DeMar would have won a title here. Um, but that's another story. But Kawhi Leonard brought the title, and it was a terrific trade by Masai. But I don't consider Kawhi Leonard to be a true Raptor. I think, you know, he was here, he did his job, they won a title, he was gone. And so I, when, when people say Kawhi Leonard, I think people think of him as a San Antonio Spur. That's just my opinion. Okay, I said that was the last one, but I have to follow up. And then I promise this is the last one. I mean, one. do you look at Kawhi Leonard as a Raptor or as a Spur? Uh, well, you were here, and they won a title, so you're probably going to say No, I, but I, I absolutely understand your point, though. I mean, no doubt when you think about longevity with a certain franchise and whatnot, and he was here for only one year, but at the same time, I don't know That's that they win I, the championship without him. I look at Vince Carter as a Raptor. I don't look at him as a net. Okay, so this leads perfectly to my, 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 again, and I say, I promise this is the last one now. Whose jersey should get retired first if a jersey gets retired okay. first. Is it Vince or is it a guy like Kyle Lowry? Because many people, Chuck, Raptor fans and will you tell what? you greatest Raptor of all time is a, Kyle Lowry. But There's not a right or wrong answer to this, and I'll tell you why. I think everyone deserves a special night, but feelings are going to be hurt. Right. If you take one guy, I mean, in a make-believe world, here's what UCLA did, because I did this game to Paul at UCLA. They retired... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's jersey and Bill Walton both played at UCLA. Together. Different eras. Different eras. They, they retired them together. And it was 
a great night and to see two legends on the floor. Now, could you bring Vince, Damar, and Kyle and do one huge night? You know, would, would you have a ring of honor and say, this is the first class and this is how we roll? And you bring in Stoudemire and you bring in Bosch and these are honorary first, first five players that are going in and you would probably eventually, if you did the Ring of Honor and not retired jerseys, you would probably have Kawhi in the Ring of Honor. And I get that. Now, if I ran the Raptors, would I retire Kawhi Leonard's jersey? No, I wouldn't. Do I think without him, do they win a title? Maybe, maybe not. Do I think tomorrow would have won a title here? Yes. That's just my opinion. That was the radio voice of the Chicago Bulls, Chuck Swirsky. I always uh, love catching up with the Swirsky Jonesy, but we're going to quickly shift our attention over to another Eastern Conference team, one that the Raptors uh, you know, are seeing in the midst of this five-game road trip. In fact, they saw them for, and are seeing them for two straight games, the Washington Wizards. And I feel like there are comparisons or parallels that we can make between the Wizards and the Raptors. No disrespect to Washington, I still feel like I would take Toronto's roster over Washington's from a talent perspective, you know, 1 through 15 and more. But when we look at talent, style of play maybe even, but more so injuries and then projections for this year, expectations for this year, not necessarily living up to it, you throw that all into a pot, Jonesy. Again, that's where I'm kind of going with this with the comparisons and parallels between the Wiz and the Raps. Yeah, uh, again, a team that is kind of at the bottom, uh, of the pl- of the playing tournament, kind of hanging on, but they're dangerous. There's real potential there for them to be one of those teams that I talked about at the beginning. Get it together, peak at the right time, and suddenly you catch, you know, you you, you catch lightning in a bottle, and away you go. And I I, I don't think that uh, they would by any means be an easy out if they were to get in. But the problem is fighting through, as you said, the muddle and getting to that spot. For more on the Washington Wizards, let's bring into the conversation right now the radio color analyst, just team broadcaster overall. I know he jumps into the TV realm sometimes too, Glenn Consor. Hey, Glenn, we were just speaking off the air. Let's maybe bring a portion of that conversation on the air. Um, The travel for the Washington Wizards this season, the schedule overall, certainly looks like it's turning or has turned in a positive direction now with a lot of it the bulk of it kind of in the rear view mirror now and how much of an impact did that have negatively perhaps and could it have positively perhaps on the record and the standings and where things might settle in the next six weeks yeah it's been uh it's been interesting I, I would i guess you can call it pre all-star break um schedule for us because we had we were it was so road heavy you know, now we come back, uh, we have, uh, I guess it's like 20, well, yes, it was 22, 22, 21 games left, and of which 14 or 15 are home. So, you know, that's that's real positive. Obviously, you know, you, you, know, you play better at home, you want to play at home, but uh, it was a heavy, heavy schedule, heavy travel, a bunch of, as you guys know, eight, you know, eight, nine, ten-day road trips. It was a bunch of those. So, you know, it took its toll, and, uh, you know, you, you learn and grow from it. But, you know, to some degree, same deal in the NBA. So, you know, you, you know eventually it's going to catch up to you, whether it's pre- or post-All-Star break. 
Hey, Glenn, what's the feeling around the team this year? I know last year uh, under uh, West Unsell Jr., there was a quick start and then just kind of like a slide that you just, it seemed like the Wizards couldn't get a hold of the rope. Somebody greased the rope and they couldn't, they couldn't stop the slide. And it, it hasn't been quite the same this year. Um, but, but what's the feeling around, I think it's important. A lot of people downplay the play in and getting in. And I, I just think it's, it's always meaningful to be in winning games and, or, you know, situations where you games matter and you're, you're trying to play these, you know, these winning games. What's the feeling around the team this year? Well, you know, I think the feeling is, you know, uh, is really a question. How good can we be when we're all healthy? Because, you know, you look at our roster this year, uh, our, our big three, uh, like you guys have your big three, um, you know, it, it's, it's Kuz, it's Beal, and it's Porzingis. Those guys only played 22 games together this year. So, you know, to get those three guys on the floor at the same time has been really difficult. And I guess the question is, what are we really going to look like if we can get those guys consistently healthy um, and then possibly add pieces? So, you know, we, we, we play very well when those three guys are on the court. You know, Porzingis is a, a walking mismatch, and so is Kuz because of their skill sets. Um, and they create mismatches. You know, who do you put on those guys? Uh, and w- when Porzingis is not playing specifically, he could spread the floor, and that helps everyone out. And I think, you know, we're, we're in that mode of, you know, we, we're coming off a good game. We had two games where we didn't play well, and that's kind of how the theme has been, you know, a couple of good games and then a couple of clunkers. So, um, but I think, I think this team really has a, you know, can do some damage if we can keep healthy. Glenn, to that point, I'd be interested in your perspective because we obviously talk about it from a Raptors perspective. And, and I, Jonesy, I think I'm representing your words properly. We're both in lockstep, Jonesy and I. That when we look at the top of the Eastern Conference, Glenn, okay, Boston, Milwaukee, yes. But after that, yeah, with no disrespect to the teams that are there, like Philadelphia, clearly, you know, they got talent uh, and, and, and Embiid's having a hell of a year. Um, but I'm not sure that there's a lot of teams that necessarily scare me. So when you talk about the potential for the Wizards to make noise, we've kind of said the same thing about the Raptors. You get that right matchup. To me, it doesn't seem completely out of the realm of possibility that you could be making it past a round or actually trying to make, as you say, some noise, given the right matchups, especially if you're avoiding Boston-Milwaukee for at least a round or two. I totally agree. Um, I would put, you know, as you mentioned, Philly, I put, I, I really like Cleveland's team. I like your team too. Um, I really like uh, some of the components that you bring. And I think a lot of your players are physical players. So, you know, I think come playoff time, you know, that's really going to come into play. You need that physicality. And I think you guys have that. So you can surprise. I mean, I, I think that the Wizards, Toronto, um, and and possibly even the Knicks could surprise. But you need, you know, you need to have physicality. And I think our last game, you know, for the most part, we we showed that physicality. Look, for the most part, we have finesse players. We have, you know, Kuz is a finesse player. Porzingis is a finesse player. Bradley Beal has some power to his game, but for the most part, part is a finesse player. Monte Morris, when healthy is a finesse point guard. So you look at our roster, 
now that doesn't mean they're not tough. That doesn't mean they're not they can't play with physicality. But when we do, we can surprise. So I think you know I think there's a lot of teams that can surprise the Knicks and Chicago might be in that boat too. Glenn, it's funny because you know you you, you mentioned a bunch of teams at the in the playing possible playing tournament as potential opponents. I don't think anybody's putting their hands up. We, and we say this in Toronto. I don't think anybody's putting their hands up at the top and saying, yeah, okay, we'll take Toronto in the first round. Or, yeah, okay, we'll take Washington in the first round. Because there, there is some danger there. And, and for me, you look at a couple of those guys. I mean, Bradley Beal's been in the playoffs before. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I look at, I look at uh, Porzingis. Yeah, who's one of Kuz, Kuz has got a ring. So, like, there's not uh, – it's a matter of bringing it together, I guess, is what I'm saying, because I don't see anybody putting their hand up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll take the Wizards in the first round. Yeah, we'll take them. That'll be an easy out. I, I don't think that's happening. No, there is. I don't think there is. You know, and, and if you look at the standings, you know, in that play-in box, um, you know, there's some dangerous teams in there, and no team is really separating themselves yet, you know, for that – you know, seven, eight, nine, ten position. So, you know, I think you know it's a it's a matter of what teams can come together. And as I mentioned earlier, with Kuz and Porzingis and Beal only playing twenty two, twenty three games together this year, you know, who's going to stay healthy? And that could be a big deal. It always is, but and it, I know it's cliche, but it's so factual. You know, look at the Lakers now; they they, they seem to have you know got over the hump, and then LeBron goes down. So. You know, you just don't know. But um, I think there are some dangerous teams. Glenn, I'm going to ask you a question I've heard mentioned many times, uh, at least by other media that come to Toronto, and it seems like it's an ongoing theme. I wonder if you have a perspective on this. And this is just kind of a big-picture thing, not, not Toronto or Washington specific. Do you have any theory on why it is we seem to have seen more injuries and more injuries to significant players over the course of the season? Because it kind of ties into the big-picture question as well about – load management and is it even working and are these guys coming to to camp in the best shape or they have they been playing too much and not resting enough i mean what's what's your sense of things because you've been there obviously as a player and around the game for a, a hell of a long time yeah it's pretty hard to decipher that one i mean you know that's a question for like you know orthopedic surgeons and <laughs> um and and those types of guys and but you know i i mean look the nba has gotten so athletic it's gotten so fast um, the with the rule changes taking away hand checking and all this stuff, it's become a, a, a league of explosiveness, quick, uh, quick twitch muscles. You know everything is up and down, and you know coming down, stopping on the dime, shooting threes, and you know uh, it's it's mayhem. So in a good way, but but my theory is maybe that's it. You know, you would think, you know, with, you know, incorporating, cause look at all the high scores we're seeing and the high, you know, individually and as teams, you know, this is a league about scoring now. So, you know, it's the pace of that is so fast. You know, if, if Adam Silver decides, says, Hey, you know what, let's put some more rules in that puts an emphasis on defense. Let's bring back hand checking, right? You do that. Will the injury slow down I don't, or will they get more? I don't know because it's still yeah. going to go up and down. The athletes are faster and, and bigger. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, what do you do with the schedule? You make it a, you know, it's, look, it's a business. You want to keep it at 82. 
So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe it's time for, you know, the medical staffs and all these teams. Look, you know, back in the day, man, they didn't have 50 people. And, you know, one guy's an ankle guy, right. one guy's a knee guy, one guy's a shooting coach, one guy's a ball handling coach. They didn't have all that. You know, um, now you have th- there's so much of it that you would think they would have less injuries, but not the case. So uh, I, I don't know if I rambled on, but I, I just think it's it's got to be the pace of the game, you know. And 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 I don't know about load management. I mean, I, I know these guys get you know tweaks here and there, and then teams got to be concerned about they don't want the injuries getting worse. I get all that, but um, you didn't see it you know, in, in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, no, and the guys played, it took it as a, a badge of honor, Glenn, to play 82 games. I, I, I'm with you. I don't know. We've looked at all kinds of theories ourselves, Eric and I, and just, you know, you can't figure it out. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it from 82. I'd take out all back-to-backs. Uh, I know we have in some locations, we have it in Toronto, we have tiered pricing. And, for instance, a guy like Steph Curry, has not played in Toronto since Game 5 of the Finals in 2019 because of circumstances wow. and load, load right. management. I mean, I think right. John Morant has played he, – he's one played game. like two games. One game, Eric? Yeah, one. Two games in, 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 in Toronto all year, mm-hmm. all, all career. Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. you can count it on one hand too. So, I, I, you know, to me, they've got to figure out a way to, to do something about that. I, I want to talk about some of your young guys that are playing. Glenn and what I've seen I've seen some real flashes from Denny Avdia at times I I really have he he's had some big games and he looks like he's coming now and you know it it takes a while to adjust to everything when you come to the NBA especially when you come you know he's you know especially when you come as a 19 year old Um, talk to me about his game because I I, it looks like he could be coming yeah he's really evolving you know, um, I think coming from Israel, and I played—I played professionally in Israel for two years. So, you know, it's—it's it's a basketball country, and he, you know, he—that's what he played in. He played in, in Europe, and he played with the top teams in in Israel since he's 16 years old. So he, did, but still, you know, the interesting thing with Denny is, Denny um, is might be one of our more physical players. Like, he is real, like, he can get, you know, I, we were talking about physicality, what you guys have with Scotty Barnes and, and Siakam and, you know, and the rest and Van Vliet. But Denny is, he came into the league with physicality. The adjustment that he had to make was the pace and the speed of the game and the quick twitch part of it, which he's gaining. In other words, if he's playing a wing, you know, and he comes off a staggered screen, he catches the ball. It's the quickness on the catch, going to the basket. What do I do? Do I pass, square up, you know, look for my shot? It's all that stuff, which he had and he has, but it's taken him a time to incorporate that part in his game. So that's really improved. His shooting has improved. Um, I'm sure it's still not where he wants it to be from three, but it's improved. And he has been rebounding like crazy. So the, the thing with Denny is, He's a real versatile player. I mean, he can take it off the glass like Scotty Barnes, bring it up, you know, and and playmake with it, whether it's scoring or finding, you know, making an intelligent pass. That's what Denny can do, and he could play a wing. And he's he's just like a 
man, he, he could, he'll give you what you need type guy, like a Joe Ingles, you know, um, or Scotty Barnes, who I like very much. Um, you know, he's that kind of guy, and he's learning. He's still, look, he's 22. He's still learning the game. You know, and I remember last year when his shot did improve from his first year with, in the NBA, and I asked him, I said, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm real big on it, like watching guys' forms and what are they doing right and what are they doing wrong. I'm really into that stuff, and, and I study film with it. And, you know, I was watching him, and I asked him, I said, can you tell me why you're shooting better? This was at the end of last year when he started shooting better, and he said, you know what, I just think I'm getting stronger. And that was mm. pretty revealing to me because you forget he's 21. You know, you, you know, like my body didn't kick in as a player till I was like 23. You know, my legs and my upper body and all that stuff. So you forget. And he goes, I just think my legs are stronger where I can play the catch and shoot game or, you know, take guys off the bounce and get explosive. So you forget some of these guys are so young that bodies haven't even developed. Hey, Glenn, I'm still waiting for my body to develop and come together. So come on now. What, what are we talking about? Right, you know, you, you, you got to start hitting the gym, man. That's, that's, there's no shortcut. And at, at, our, at our age, man, there's, there's really no shortcut. Hey, 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 Glenn, at our age, the gym, at our age, the gym hits back. It does. It does. It does. Hey, hey man, I'm a runner. I run, and I'm getting up there, man. I'm going to be – it's a big one for me coming up. Um, uh, in in a couple weeks, but and I still run now, man. When I run, I hurt. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. no maybes to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, we won't even reveal the number or ask you, but we'll just say uh, best of uh, best of wishes for the upcoming uh, birthday, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon and uh, have a great uh, final six weeks of the season. Yeah, we'll see you up in Toronto. I look forward to seeing you guys. All right, thanks, all right, man. Glenn. Take care, man. Take care, guys. Always love chatting with Glenn Consor, team broadcaster for the Washington Wizards, uh, radio color analyst as well. Um, one thing I just wanted to mention, Jonesy, before we uh, hit the break, and we're going to actually flip over to the Western Conference in a couple of moments, folks. The Toronto Raptors, one of only five teams in the East with 20 or more wins at home. Key now is, though, they're in the midst of another long road trip like they had a few weeks ago. They came out of that road trip with a chance to go 5-2. and two. Heck, we could have even been talking about 6-1 and one. They went four and three. This road trip now, eh, you want at the bare minimum, bare minimum, be coming home three and two because you're coming down the stretch here. Like we're, we're we're approaching only 15 games left in the season. It's 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 staring us in the in the mirror right now. And man, I know it's cliche, but these count and matter so much right now for Toronto. They're they're big, Eric. And listen, are they must wins? Um, no, because you still have some stuff on the back end. I mean, you got Charlotte coming up twice. You got two in Boston, but are the Celtics going to be in a position where their seating is known and they're resting people? Like, so I wouldn't say it's a must win, but we talked about it. This week would go a long way to helping determine, you know, where the Raptors might be. You want to be peaking. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got the win uh, against Chicago. You know, there's, 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 you know, the road trip starts. Like you said, three and two on the trip especially with a couple games that, uh, you know, against teams that are right there with you in the Wizards. So, yeah, that, it's, it's hugely important, and it, I think it's going to go a long way to determining uh, what happens uh, for the Raptors come the end of the season. 
All right, we're going to hit the break for just a couple of moments here, folks. When we come back, we'll bring in our uh, good friend from the L.A. Times to talk about LeBron James, the Lakers, and the Western Conference. Dan Wojcicki up next on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Again, fresh content every Thursday on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and your favorite podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate it, and we appreciate all of you tuning in and being loyal to the show. And a guy who's been loyal to the show as well. This has got to be, I believe, the third appearance this season, let alone he's been joining us for years, from the L.A. Times, Dan Woy. Uh, Dan, we, we can't not start with LeBron James, and I guess his health, his status, sounds like he's going to be out a minimum at least two weeks, uh, hoping to, or, or not hoping to, is going to avoid surgery for now and then kind of uh, see where the dust settles and where things stand in a few weeks. And I, I guess maybe just let's deal with LeBron first specifically. Okay. Do you think that this could have, and I know you know you don't wear a, a white lab coat, you're not a doctor here, but could this have any long-term impact on him at his age, or is this one of those things that, hey, he heals up, he's good to go, and it won't have lingering impacts this season, let alone looking ahead to the future? I mean, it's a great question, Eric. I mean, the details have been very scarce as to, like, what exactly is even going on here. You, you know, um, here's what we know, right? We know it was a non-contact injury. Um, he thought he stepped on someone's foot. Um, he did not, right? Like, he stepped on the ground. He said on camera that he had heard a pop. And, you know, everything else from here has been like, you know, we're in the diagnostic stages of this. I'm not quite sure what the treatment plan is going to be. Obviously, avoiding surgery. Um, that was what Chris Haynes said. Uh, I, look, I, I didn't think he was headed to um, but it does seem like something that is going to require a fair amount of rest and recovery. Is it something you, 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 you shake off at that point? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I do think at a certain point in time, right, you, you have to look at this and say, this is a 38-year-old in year 20 having a non-contact injury. Um, you know, that we, we do know that time and age are undefeated. It comes for us all, regardless of uh, our, our work ethic or our genetics or any of that stuff. So is this, is this a sign of that? Um, you're not the first person to ask me that. I'm not the first. You know, I've asked that. And... I don't think we can really know. I, I think we know that LeBron has a supreme work ethic. He has a lot of time and money invested in his health. And those things trend positively. Um, he will be older today than he has ever been in his entire life. And, and, and that record will be broken tomorrow. Um, and that, I would say, trends negatively. So uh, it, it's, it's a great question. I don't know. I don't have a great answer. You, you know, Dan, regardless, uh, and, and you mentioned all those things that would point to uh, somewhat LeBron being able to bounce back somewhat to form, it's sure. really the first time he's had a major injury like this. Like he had the groin a couple of years ago, and that I felt like that was it was there, but at the point of the season when it made no sense to come back and try to push it, mm -hmm. he could have played. This one is different in that, like you said, non-contact. He wants to play. He needs to play if his team's going to be successful. And coming back from this one, I, to me, I just think it's going to be a little bit different. And it's the first time he's tried to come back and really 
kind of jump on the moving train late in the year when it really came yeah. to be there for his team. This one's different. So, so Jones, yeah, let me stop you there. So I, I, there is a little bit of a track record for this, like a slight one, and it's two years ago. Um, he, he injured his ankle um, when Jay Crowder kind of dove at a ball. I believe – oh, I'm sorry. Pardon me. I apologize for the Jay Crowder slander. Solomon Hill um, dove for a ball in a game, and he got kind of folded up, and he missed a huge chunk of game. And he came back, and it wasn't quite right, and then he waited again, and he came back. And, and that was when they played Phoenix in, in the first round of the playoffs. And we're up 2-1, and then Anthony Davis got hurt. And obviously they lose the Suns then. Um, go on, I believe, to the NBA Finals that year and, and, and lose Milwaukee. But, it, it um, you know, I, I, I think to your point, though, it's just, it, the general point is that it is sort of like, you know, this isn't the middle of the season. This isn't like, let's deal with this in the summer. Um, there is a ticking clock element to this. And, and, by the way, there's also sort of like, the, the, the second question is, like, what are you coming back to? You know, for, for all the strides the Lakers have made, um, you, you know, they are not currently in the playoffs. You know, uh, they've talked a lot about heading to the sixth seed. Like, there's still a lot of work to do and a lot of teams to jump to get there. And, and I, I do think that there is sort of a um, – there's going to be like a – like it's, it's, it's not this callous, but like, you know, Prove to me that that I that I needed that I should be working to come back too, right? Like there will be a point, in, like sort of like the Grand Jury, where if the Lakers don't play good basketball, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I think the Lakers have played pretty good basketball, and things are trending towards more good basketball. But, but you, you don't know, and I, I think you know they've been very um, they've been very clear in the last week that. You know they will they will do whatever they can to ensure that like LeBron isn't rushing back, um, just because the team needs him because the stakes are high. I just think that's so much easier said than done. But you know this could be a thing. You know back to Eric's first question: if if you do come back too early and you reaggravate it, maybe this is just something you just deal with now. And this is something like this is just a part of a part of your your life as an NBA player is that you've got this foot thing and you've got, and it's just always going to be a worry. Dan, maybe to that point, maybe this is a part of it. And I don't mean necessarily the foot. I'm talking more about just the age, the body. And, like, the guy still looks sure. incredible, obviously. He's, a, he's, you know, he's a Greek god in terms of what most, you know, 38 to 45-year-olds, let alone what most humans in general look Speak like. Speak for and, yourself, and, Eric. Speak for yourself. Well, I, I know. I did, see you, I did see you in Salt Lake City. And, I mean, I, I, right. I, I, was, I was wondering for a second if we were going to be seeing you on the cover of Vogue you, or GQ I, or something. And, I was going to say, if you, if you yeah. didn't see me in the hall and walk up the stairs at altitude, I, I would say, like, uh, you, you, you would have probably called, uh, called for EMTs, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my point being here, Dan, when you talked a, a couple of moments ago there about track record last couple of seasons, and again, I'm not ragging on the guy. It, it is what sure. it is, and, and part, of, part of this is load management. Part of it is, though, an aging guy that's starting to maybe get banged up a little bit. Last three seasons, totally. if we include this one, 45 games played, 56 games played, 47 as of today. Like, again, load management is part of that, but is that taking care of an aging part. body, or is that also an aging body catching up to a guy? Yeah, I think it's I think it's more the latter than the former. I, I mean, I think he has been banged up. You know, um, he's dealt with nagging injuries. Um, 
you know, it's been the groin, it's been his ankle. Um, he had an abdomen thing. Um, you know, uh, now it's a foot thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, yes, I think you're right. He's, I mean, he's, he's getting older and he is slowing down. Like that, the crazy part is, is that the production just hasn't reflected that. Right. Like that's the disconnect is on one hand, you have a player, um, who's clearly showing signs of age when it comes to his ability to be available. You know, on the other hand, you have a guy authoring 40 and 50 point games, you know, pretty regularly. Uh, last year would have been a contention for the scoring title had he qualified in games played um, and, and could have qualified in games played, but they, you know, they were out of it at the end of the season and, and he thought that was, you know, not really respectful of the situation and, and you know, obviously respectful of his long-term stuff, so they didn't push for it. But, you, you know, that those are – the production is still there, which is kind of tantalizing. It, it does sort of feel like moving forward. If LeBron James is a part of your plans, like, you got to hope for some luck and you got to hope for some timing, right? Like, the idea is, is that he is healthy, as healthy as possible when you enter the playoffs because, he, you know, and this might – maybe I'm too close. I've just seen them play some good teams, and, and you know, they're going to be hard to beat four times if they're healthy. Um, now, I don't know that they can win three playoff series, get to the finals. I don't think that's the case. They haven't shown me that level of consistency. Um, but, like, they're going to be a pain um, if they're healthy. That is just a giant I and a giant F. Dan, the other guy we need to talk about to me is Anthony Davis. Um, so yep. much of the for- fortunes rest with him. I know, I mean, LeBron has had his nicks and his bumps, and he's, for the most part, been able to play through them. But it just seems like every time something happens with AD, he's down, and it just it just sets the team into uh, an area where roles have to be redefined and things change because you're playing without this guy who – you know, like LeBron, you count on for big things, but he's not there. Yeah, and I think the thing with Anthony Davis, right, is he is everything to you defensively. Uh, you know, he's one of the best defensive players in the league, one of the best defensive players of the last, you know, 25 years of the league. And um, you build your defense around him. That's what you do. You know, you have a player that good, you build your defense around him. And that it's hard because, you know, the stops and starts, the ins and the outs with him these last few years, it's made it hard for them to have a real identity on that side of the board. You know, he's healthy right now. Um, he's playing, seemingly playing into a rhythm right now as well. And, and I think that's all really promising, you know. Um, but, again, can you stay healthy? Dan, the Western Conference uh, looks very similar to the Eastern Conference when you sort of look at uh, 6 through 12. Um, if not, heck, we could even go as high as 4 through through 12. Um, the league must love this when it comes to the play-in. Heck, I could even say down to 13 because Oklahoma City is still in the mix as well, at least for the play-in, if not, if not even higher. Um, the league must love this, Dan, but... Uh, does Dan Wakey love it, the play-in? But also, how do you see the dust settling specifically for, uh, from a Lakers perspective? You said it earlier, what's LeBron coming back to? Do you think he's coming back to a team that's at the very least in the play-in, if not a playoff spot? Yeah, I mean, I think they're in pretty good position, all things considered. 
it's just that's a wild thing to say about a team that you know has been in 13th place for a lot of the year, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that's no not great. Yeah. That, that's that's not generally speaking great position. Um, you know, if if I told you guys, you know, like I've got to lean on my house or coming for my car tomorrow, but you know things are looking up. I got a lottery ticket. <laughs> you might not say that's great position. I, I think they have better chances than that, right? Like they've rebuilt their roster. Um, they look like, quite frankly, a team that they probably should have tried to be in November. You know, they, they kind of pretty successfully undid the Russell Westbrook trade, and they were able to to add role players um, and to split that $47 million salary up in, uh, up into three three pieces. Um, they've just become a much, much more balanced basketball team. Now, again, ticking clock, injuries, all of that matters, and you know this team doesn't have a chance to be the the, the sort of impact player it wants to be without a healthy LeBron James, without Anthony Davis. So that's true. You know that's true for the Warriors, it's true for the Phoenix Suns, it's true for the Blazers, it's true for any team. You know it's certainly true for the Mavericks. Like you miss your guys, you're you're going to be in trouble. But I, I I just think like you know there has been a jolt of optimism, a jolt of hope. Uh, you know, around the Lakers here. And even the LeBron injury, it, it's funny, when that happened, you know, I was talking to some players on the team and we wondered sort of, you know, like my, my, my first initial, you know, reaction was like, these guys are in big, big trouble. You know, like this is, well, there goes the season kind of a thing. Um, you know, but the more you think about it, you thought about, to your point, that parody, you know, it, it, is it? You know, are the playoffs really gone? Like, you know, you've got these teams, and, and the way that the schedule is, guys, every night there's a game that helps the Lakers on right. the schedule. You know, like last night, um, you know, I'm like uh, I think uh, Portland played New Orleans. You know, someone's got to mm-hmm. lose that game. Mm-hmm. Lakers yeah. are chasing both of them. <laughs> someone's got to yeah. lose. And, you know, it, that's good news for them. And, and this happens. Because of the way the West is, because we're we're not just even talking about, you know, a chunk of two or three teams. You know, it's seven teams that are all within a hair of each other. Eight teams. Like there, there's, there's a, yeah, it, it really is like still so wide open, and I think that's the optimism of the Lakers. Well, we can keep I, I tell- playing that good basketball, you know, and there's a real chance. I tell you what, Dan, the, the play-in has certainly uh, achieved one of the goals in eliminating some of the tanking because everybody, like you said, thinks they can get a lottery ticket even if they're 11 or 12 and get in and catch lightning in a bottle. So uh, here, here's the last thing for me, Dan, before we go. A lot of talk lately about Nikola Jokic and the MVP. And yep. I, for me, this is the year, and I would reluctantly – and I don't have a vote, but I would say reluctantly vote for him because he meets all... The NBA hasn't set out any criteria. He meets most of my criteria. Impacting winning, yep. great numbers, and yep. and the third one, he doesn't come close to. Like, you can try to make that box as big, and he'll never check it, and that's impact on the defensive end as a two-way player. Sure, But... I like I, I could see him. This is the year he probably should have won it. I'm not sure about the other two years because 
the one year his team was just barely above the play-in line at six, and he got it. Yeah. But your your thoughts on it? To me, and this is what people are saying: it's a regular season award. But the other guys that have won three in a row, and and call name them for me, Dan. I know Bird is one. Kareem is another. Yep. And who's the, and and there's a third one too. Um, I mean, did, they, did Michael Jordan win three in a row? I, I don't know if he won three he, in a row, but they've all won. They've all won but a yeah. chip, and 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 yeah. this guy, he hasn't been. He's been to one conference final. Yeah, and, and I think look right, and, and that conference final was in the bubble, and everybody sort of has their uh, um, their 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 bubble um, their bubble biases. We'll say, look, yeah. I, I, I think I think for me, so I am not a voter. We we don't vote at the LA Times. It is a responsibility, quite frankly, that I'm glad I don't have um, because it is tricky. I think in this case, I think to me, right, like you generally want these things to be, I try to view them as yearbooks, right? Like, so the MVP is fun for debate today and it is fun for arguments and stuff like that and for, conversations with your friends and stuff like that. But then, you know, 25 years from now, what it should be is a snapshot of where the league is. Right. And, and, and what mattered that season in the NBA. And, you know, I think we can look back historically and say like, you know, Kobe probably should have won more MVPs. Um, LeBron probably should have won an extra MVP. Um, Jordan certainly should have won an extra MVP. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of think that we're going to look back at these Nikola Jokic seasons and kind of kind of marvel at how efficient he has been, how just how dominant he has been offensively. You're right about the third the third box, the defensive stuff. It is what it is, but like we are watching a one of one player, in my opinion, um, a, a a a center with um, supreme skill with. Um, the ability to pass the basketball in a way that is, you know, Magic Johnson-esque. Yeah. You know, I mean, I say that honestly without, I mean, I believe he's third in assists in the league right now, um, you know, for a team that has primary ball handlers. And, and yeah, I, I, I like, I, I think, you know, I, I mentioned that about Jokic. Like, I think there's a world in which we look back at this and say, well, like, why didn't Giannis win more MVP? Too right because because of the two way stuff, um, I, I just to, to me I, I would I would advise voters to try to divorce themselves of like the historic last year is last year two years ago is two years ago you can't do anything about those votes you can only vote on the season that's in front of you and, and try to try to tackle it that way um, but it's tricky it, it really is hard and, and I think you know um, to me the best reason to argue against Jokic is defensive. Um, you know, and I think that's the best argument for Joel Embiid. It's the best argument for uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, does does anyone else race to that level? I, I just I don't know. I think he does so much offensively that it, it overcomes all those other deficiencies. Dan, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Thanks, Dan. Guys, thank you for having me. It was it was wonderful seeing both of you recently, and uh, I look forward to joining again. That was Dan Wojcicki from the L.A. Times. Just a, a little bit of housekeeping here, Jonesy. We're, we're going to leave in a couple of minutes here, but we, we can get into some stuff if you want. But I just wanted to confirm for the audience, there were three players that have won 
three straight MVPs. No, Michael Jordan was not one of them. It was actually the first to do it, Bill Russell, 61, uh, Bill 62, Russell. 63. Yeah. You had Wilt Chamberlain, 66, 67, 68, and then Larry Bird did it, 84, 85, 86. So it has not been done since Larry Bird and only three times in history. Well, and that's that's my point. All three of those guys that we're talking about have at least uh, one gold bar, at least a one one hash mark and, and a chip. You know they've you know they've got multiple. But um, mm-hmm. I know it's a regular season award, but Jokic's success has to translate to the postseason, or else, uh, to me, at times they ring as empty calories. Well, you know what. I just saw a post recently. I think it actually might have been Shaq that that even reposted it. Um, And I know he likes to kind of poke the bear and stoke the fire with stuff like this from time to time, whether it be on TV or on social media. But he was even talking about Steve Nash and the back-to-back MVPs and saying that at least one, if not both of those MVPs, could have or should have gone to either him, him being Shaq, or Kobe Bryant. And that's not to take anything away from what, what Nash did in those two years, but... Um, and I'm not taking anything away from Nash's career either, but another guy that didn't win a title. But when you look back at history and the era that Nash was playing in, as awesome as he was, as great as he was, it was an era that was dominated by the likes of Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And to see fewer MVPs and fewer hardware on their shelves, as decorated as their shelves already are, you do kind of scratch your head when you look back 10, 20, 50 years later on, hmm, why didn't they win more? Why don't they have more? It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of understandable when you think of the argument from that perspective. I, 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 think it's, I think it's a matter of voter fatigue. I think it's a matter of taking greatness uh, for granted. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think there are some, uh, some other things that work there, too, that, that uh, you know, cheering for the underdog, those kinds of things. And, and like I said, you know, you were right on not to take anything away from the career of Nash or, I mean, we're going to look back as Dan said at, at Jokic as one of the greats and he is, uh, but there's a verification of a, a, a validation when you're able to do that. And at the same time, take your team to the championship. Folks subscribe to Smith and Jones, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, download, subscribe, rate and review. And we will be back with another fresh show next thursday thanks to our producers and our crew austin Mackey, mark boffo and to all of you for tuning in as well you can check us out on social media at paul double underscore jones on twitter at eric double underscore smith on twitter as well you can find us on instagram we're always interactive as well so let us know what you think about the show if you're not doing so with your little rates and reviews as well again fresh content next thursday thanks for tuning in to smith and jones <laughs>